Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. All right. We're here for another episode of The Revenue Hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, and I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming David Karp to the podcast. David, welcome to The Revenue Hustle. Great to be here, Tom. Real pleasure. So. Um, I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, David is the VP of Customer Success at Disco. Uh, David, why don't you give us a formal introduction and tell us a little bit about the company too. Sure, absolutely. Um, So Disco is a a CX intelligence platform. So it's really about customer experience. It's based off of really an incredible audience, a panel of many, many people we have that are excited to share their attitudes and behaviors related to brands. They're really passionate about giving feedback. And then we're able to build off of that uh, a number of CX, customer experience intelligence type services back to Mm. brands, back to uh, researchers for agencies. So a lot of uh, value out into the market and things that matter a lot right now, timely topics. And at Disco, um, from a customer success standpoint, it's most of our post-sale engagement so it's support, it's traditional success functions like onboarding and engagement. Uh, it's a lot of services as well. We have our hands on a lot of the revenue that gets delivered back to those enterprise clients because um, we deliver a lot of different ways. Some of it's through a platform, some of it's through an API. Um, so those are all things that we include in, in customer success here. Fantastic. Yeah, so I want to hear more about the company as we kind of weave that into our, our revenue rules. But you, you yeah. know how we do this. We do these revenue rules. So, David, let her rip. What's your first revenue rule? All right. First rule is that customers are people just like us. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I think about things that matter to each one of us every day, it tends to be things like I want to get promoted. I want to look good in front of my boss. Maybe I want to help a colleague. I want to go home in time to have a meal with people that matter. And sometimes we can forget when we're working with customers that they're thinking the exact same things. And even though we can talk about them through the lens of a measure of ARR or renewal date, if we remember every day that they are trying to accomplish the same kind of things we are, it can start to transform how we engage with them. Um, We tend to think of it through we call uh, moments that matter. And you can design really great outcomes at moments that matter for people based on those things. And we find that really translates into growth and value and all the things that we all want to measure and care about. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I think we always talk about customers as this big group of um, paying machines and um, robots using our software. And so, like, you're just humanizing these people, right? And 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 each one's different. Each one has their own sets of desires and stresses, right? And, you know, we all have things going on um, that oftentimes we don't share with vendors or, you know, our, our, our even sometimes internally um, with colleagues. But how did you guys come to this? Like, what, what made you, like, why is this your revenue rule? Is this something you preach to your team? Yeah, absolutely. We, we talk about it. Actually, it's been something I've been passionate about for, for a long time now. 
Um, I'd say the genesis of it was in working with uh, a, a client who wound up joining the team a couple years ago. And they were, they were telling me a story of the team that they led had access to 80 different um, data platforms from providers that they could choose from to decide how they were going to answer a question in the business. And so I asked them, how did you decide? And quite often, I would think the answer would be, who has the best data? Whose platform is the easiest to use? And the person said to me, the person who can give me a good enough answer so I can get home at night and have dinner with my kids, that's who I'm going to use. And so it just caused me to unpack a little bit more. Tell me more about what you mean by that and how you make that decision. I never want to forget that um, clients and customers, I love the way you describe that, Tom, they make choices every day about how they're going to get things done. Again, because they want to look good. They want to solve problems. They want to get promoted. They want to go home. They make decisions every day. And if I can remember that they're doing that and I can make it easy and better for them to make a decision to work with us and use our data, use our platform to make those things happen in their business, that's how we're going to unlock growth and value and all, all those things. Mm. And so how, so when you think about this with your team, because obviously you got a big team that you're managing, um, how do you institutionalize that perspective? Because it's easy to forget when there's fires and support matters and renewal dates and all sorts of stuff to kind of just, you know, push through and get our stuff done. Right. Right. Yeah. No, look, it's, um, it's, a, it's a couple things. So number one is just being real, like, cause we're, we're people too. Right. And so sometimes you forget and, um, and help and number and really helping each other accomplish it. So we do a couple things. Number one, we have to think about it through the lens of the product and how how that customer wants to interact with our product. So as I mentioned, part of our business is API driven. That is people that are programmatically trying to get data from us. It's a very technical integration, and it's something that needs to work every day. Understanding what somebody who's engaging through a programmatic interface like that, what matters to them is going to be very different than someone who's logging into a platform once a week and they've forgotten how they're going to get to an answer. So number one is just understanding what's value to that client and how do I engage around that? And then it's really a combination of a couple things. So number one, if we can design some feedback around moments that matter. So I can there's there's traditional measures. So things like CSAT and NPS, scores that we know, and I can collect those because we can debate how value they are in and of themselves, but as a collection of data points. And if I ask questions at those moments that matter, I'll get some structured feedback. But it's also making sure that we create space for the team to engage and to be a little playful too, right? We, are, we, we, we always say we are people first. And so one of the ways is when we're doing an onboarding with a client or, or a welcome call, or we're going to take them through a regular check-in, is make sure that we're creating space in that time to ask a couple questions about the person, maybe to notice something in their background. Don't forget that they're people too. I want to be efficient, but especially when we're doing so much through Zoom, it's creating space and opportunity for people to have that kind of engagement. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I mean, I, I remember my first job uh, was at Accenture and uh, out of college and, and um, the training we had, we went to a training facility in, in outside of Chicago. And part of the training was sitting down and talking to the customer before a meeting about, you know, connecting on something, the, the weather, the town they live in, or, you know, just something that just makes it a human connection before you just like get into the business. Um, and, and so, 
I think that's a fantastic way to just, you know, obviously build relationship and, and um, be on the look for those things. Yeah. And, and then it's, it's following through on it too. So if I can, I can ask you that question to have you surface it to me, but one of the things that we're working on um, pretty aggressively right now, aggressive maybe isn't the right word, but um, intentionally is a better word. Um, we're being really being intentional about some of our business is delivered as a service. We'll run a 90 day study for somebody is making sure that we understand early on what matters to the company. Why are they spending money on the study? But what matters to that person? And then after you've delivered the study, building that muscle, that intention, I had to follow up mm -hmm. afterwards. Tell me how it went. Right. Not not just how did it go for your business? How'd you apply it? How'd you make some different decisions? Those are all the things that create value and stickiness and, and generate revenue. But as a person, I remember you told me that this mattered to you. This was a big deal for you. Um, that this was you were new at the company. You were taking a risk. How did this help you? How do we help you more? Like if, if it's, it's right. not just asking the question, it's, it's following the personal through. value. Yeah. Right. There's the, the company value and then the personal value. Uh, I learned that a little while back that, that phrase personal value, because it's obviously very different, you know, a company wants to, you know, we as software companies want to provide value, right. ROI and those sorts of things, but that's not personal value oftentimes to the person writing the check or the one that's advocating. They want to get promoted. They want to, um, you know, make a biggest, make a big splash in the new role that they just got promoted into, right? There's any number of these personal things that are oftentimes right under the surface, but we, we, we fail to uncover them. Right. And they're, and they're clear differentiators because in the end, again, I, I, there's no reason for me to believe that the things that in general matter to me as a human who's putting time into work matter to the same customers we're working with every day. They're, they really are. There are people just like us. I think we forget a lot because we put pressure on ourselves to do all those standard measurable things. And, um, I, and I, I agree with you. I think that's the right, right phraseology, right? Personal value. But I try to, again, remember what is personal value? It's not, a, uh, it's not just a phrase. I mean, there really are people. Right. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the, the term uh, or the phrase moments that matter several times. I believe there was a book written that, um, by that same name. Is that something you're familiar with? I, you know what? In the in the moment, it's escaping me. I'm sure it's it's not it's not words that we've made up ourselves. It's pretty pretty standard words. The reason why we we choose to use moments that matter, um, you know, there's um there's a lot of other ways you could describe it. Key milestones, but it's moments that matter to us. Moments that matter to customers, and it's different based on how people are getting value from us. So I apologize if, uh, no, if I'm no, on it's, the book, but it's- I think someone there, whoever uses that phrase, I mean, there's a great, um, have you ever been to like Disney World? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, there's a great part of the, the book that about moments that matter that talks about, you know, when you're at Disney World, usually with the kids, right? It's It's chaotic, right? The kids are hungry, bus rides, lines, you know, they stay up late at night, so they get cranky. So there's just all these things that, you know, in the moment, you, you know, it may not feel like the happiest place on earth, but two weeks home from that trip, you're not going to remember any of that stuff. And there's only a few things that you're actually going to remember about that trip. And those are the, the highlights or the moments that matter. And so the whole context of the book was about defining those specific things and making a a big um, impression or impact 
at those specific moments. So that way, when they go back and they may forget about the API issue or, you know, the switch of the customer success role rep that you, you put on them, but they're going to remember these things, like whatever those things are. That's right. Yeah. And, and being intentional about defining that and being willing to adjust it as we learn more over time. Um, because again, um, there's, there's some interesting theory and in, in engagement models. Um, but I think you're exactly right. It's how do we understand from all the, all the hundreds and thousands of customers and people we've worked with, what are those critical moments that'll make the difference in how the outcomes people are going to get, what impression we're going to leave. Um, you know, when it's, it's easy, it's easy to forget that after the meeting I just had with a customer, they probably go into another meeting with somebody else. They're going to get asked to do a bunch of new things. So how do I also stay memorable and make it make a difference and be real and create space and some structure for the team to do it and make sure we're at our best at those moments that matter? Because it's not they don't all matter, but there will definitely right. be. Right. How 100%. how well does your team uh, take to this? Right. Is it something that comes naturally to most people in CS? Is it, you know, more some people just may naturally do this more so than others? What do you think? So I, I think in hiring people, people that are more geared this way, a hundred percent. The problem is, I like I think most challenges we have are leadership challenges, right? So if someone's not executing in a way that we want, um, it's probably because we haven't trained them, we haven't given them the tools, or we haven't created enough space, or they're the wrong person in that role. And those are all leadership issues. I think I think in the hiring profile we have, most people want to engage this way, mm-hmm. but we'll set up structures, process, measures, capacity models that get in the way of people doing it because they're reacting to other signals in the business. So talking about it, creating space, this is some muscle that we're starting to build. The team responds to it well. I think we have to get better at building this muscle consistently across the business. Um, it's something we're talking about more really, really matters to us, but it's easy to just blow past it because you measure other things. So, yeah. And it seems like a lot of people that I talk to in customer success want deeper relationships where sometimes sales can feel more transactional because you, you know, you, you build a quick relationship, you hope to sign them, you pass them off to customer success, sales is on to the next one, where CS prefers, it seems like generally speaking, likes to have a longer deeper relationship with people? Yeah, I, I think in general, you know, so so to, to my background a little bit, right, I was do I've done sales for decades, but most of it has been in the context of strategic account management versus that new logo acquisition. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of wired that way. So it is about building a relationship. Now I'll say the, the best salespeople I know care about the relationship as well, but they're measured to be more transactional. Right. Because right. We, and I, we need them to be. So they got to know they've got partners that are thinking about that relationship. So we don't um, create a totally different impression than what they were hoping to start. Right. When they first got got the client engaged. And so, I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we make sure that we're building on the what, what typically is a great experience and expectation that our sales partners set. And how do we build on that? But we are going to be more wired for. Um, for that relationship and we've got more space for it, right? We've got measures that yeah. say that we're going to do it. That's right. And and would you say that the, like, how would you, if you were not, I'm not going to ask for a quantity, but how would you quantify the impact to the business? Like in terms of, 
you know, obviously deeper relationships, you, you know, like, but having a focus on the individual versus, you know, you can have good relationships, but you don't know anything about them, right? I mean, you could have right. good working business relationships, but like, how do you see this like impacting? I've got some ideas, but I wanted to, you know, ask you first. Yeah, there, there are a lot of impacts, right? So it somewhat depends on, number one, what do you do with the information, right? So if, if I'm going to get an early warning sign, I can look at lots of data. But if I have the relationship with somebody and there's an issue, they're going to tell me. If they go somewhere else out in the market or elsewhere out in the company, uh, I've got quite a few stories of people that moved around and we built a new relationship because we were already, we had a, we had a foundation of trust that wasn't just in the context of a transactional, you, you, you're signed up for our software. Um, you get all of those benefits. You get more direct and honest feedback that you can use to improve product, that you can solve a problem faster. If, if it's nothing else, it's understanding where you have issues or opportunities faster and more in a more rooted way. Because it's important to say, too, it's not just an individual user, um, right? You want to have these relationships with people that are interacting with you other, every day, but executives are people just like us, too. Um, right. So I, I know that uh, a senior executive, when I had the chance to have those conversations, I know most most often the question they're going to ask me is tell me what my peers are doing that I'm not doing and working with you. They tend to be open to that. And if I know that that's the problem they're trying to solve for, because that's how they're going to get value as an executive is to create new capability, make sure they understand the market and the, the competitors mm -hmm. they have. And if I'm ready and I'm asking that question and prepared, that's value for them as a person too, because um, I know that's going to matter to them, right? They've got pressure as an executive, just like a day-to-day -day user has. It's just a different kind of pressure. They right. are people just like us too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine too, I mean, that, that carries, you know, as people move around to different companies, right? Like those relationships last, um, and maybe even the business relationship may end if they go take another job in a different capacity, um, but you could you know, build real meaningful friendships too that uh, that that serve value to each of you beyond the commercial relationship. Tom, I've got I just had had coffee a couple of weeks ago with someone that um, I started working with at a a very large client uh, about a decade ago, and uh, we were doing really groundbreaking work. They got promoted; it was great for them. They then moved to a completely other company to take a bigger job brought the company in that I worked for into that business. We continued to work there. They've now left and they've started their own business. And we had coffee to talk about that business um, because we're, we are, we have a, a relationship that transcends those companies. So it's bringing value back to the company, but it brings value back to me too. And hopefully to them, because it's a relationship that's rooted yeah. in all the things that matter. Right. Yeah. So no, there's great. a lot of trust. Yeah. And so I think, but those are all human benefits you get too. And it does translate back to like the, the, the best thing we can do is get fe real feedback from our customers about how we're doing, how they're doing. Um, and, and true, honest, like I, I, I think often that uh, um, just because every word out of your mouth is true doesn't mean you're telling the truth. People will say things to you that are true, but they're holding back other things you need to know to really get the full picture of the truth. Do we really have risk here? Is there opportunity we're missing for other reasons? People sometimes are hesitant to tell you that, but if they know that you're looking out for them, they tend to be looking out for yeah, you too and you yeah. get truth, not just true statements. Mm.
no, that's great. No, that's that's a great discussion. Thank you. Um, all right, well, let's transition into your second revenue rule. So uh, let her rip. Yeah, so uh, the, the way to think about team is outside in, not inside out. And what I mean by that is quite often when we think about um, how we're showing up inside of our organization or for customers, we show up through the lens of our department. So I'm VP of customer success, but customers don't care. You know what they care about? They're using one of our products or one of our services and they wanna get value from it. That's what they care about. So if I start first with my first team is the company and the second team is that product that that customer is counting on solving a problem for them, that's what they really care about. And then of course we get back to all the personal stuff we talked about. That is a different way of showing up and a different way of working in an organization. And so I think about um, if I show up at a meeting and I know I need a product colleague there to solve a problem and they weren't invited, it's on me to invite them because I'm not customer success first. I'm disco and then that product team first and that product team is gonna include product colleagues, sales colleagues, product marketing, et cetera. Right. Um, and if you, if you go outside in instead of inside out, um, you solve problems in a really different way and um, faster for customers. And there's huge revenue unlocks from doing that. And, and so a lot of times people don't think that way, right? Organizations don't behave that way. Um, why is that? Why is, you know, or, or how have you guys seen that work um, or to embrace, oh, you know, I got a CS colleague inviting me to a meeting. I'm going to go there to help the customer, right? Yep. It, look, it's a couple things, right? So there's a couple things that I think either stand in the way or things that we've we've done that I think really have been important. So number one, a team is a core value here. It's one of our values. And so we talk about it. It matters. Um, it's reinforced. It's lived out. Um, it's part of our performance management process. What kind of team person are we? And so quite often, the first time someone is assessing performance around how am I doing as a team, they think department, and we have to help pull them up to Team Disco first. Um, number two, um, we have the incredible privilege. We do monthly all-hands meetings here at Disco, and they're, they're just, I think, a real great reflection of our culture. But one of the things that we've been doing um, really for the past almost 15 months, I've been here about 15 months, is one of the very first things we do is we tell a client win story. Um, and we don't tell a client win story. It's, we have the, again, the privilege in customer success to typically be the ones that bring that to the company. But we are really intentional about talking about number one, what's the win the client got? But then how did all of Disco come together to enable that? It's not mm -hmm. a chance to tell a hero story for a department. It's how did every part of Disco uniquely contribute to that win for a client? And it starts to reinforce how important that is. Um, and then it's just being a good steward of, and it's something I talk about with my leaders. We actually, we, because we have the privilege and customer success of representing the whole company to our customers, we have the responsibility of making sure the whole company is aligned to help create value. So really it's, it's doing that, that hard work to so number one, of course, it's, we have the advantage of being part of our values, but really calling out if we, if we had a miss, if you know, I, I wasn't invited to that meeting or we couldn't get that done because that person didn't come, why not? Like you have the responsibility of making that happen. So it's part of how we measure it, part of how we give each other feedback. Um, there are places where we've been struggling to get that alignment. 
And so at a leadership level, we've accelerated how frequently we meet cross-functionally to have those conversations and bring that back to the team. Um, so it's the, the typical behavior change things you would do. You talk about it, you live it out, you celebrate the wins, you yeah. measure it, you call out things that aren't working, right? It's all those things. Yeah. It's, it's usually measurements for people that stand in the way. If, right, if, if my measurement is, if I can be successful against a measure, Tom, simply by doing my own thing, and not including anybody else, why would I complicate my life by including a bunch of other people? The right. thing I tell people is it is absolutely okay to work by yourself, but it's never okay to work alone. If you can't connect the work you're doing in the work that aligns with what other people are doing, you're probably not working on something that really matters. Mm -hmm. You know, that's great. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, it does drive me crazy. Just when you think about just, I'm very customer centric, right? Just, I, I think, especially as, as, as a small growing startup, you have to over deliver, right? Because there's, there's benefits that come with working with a, a small software startup. And, and then there's um, risks, right? Like maybe the product's not as mature as, you know, something that's been in the marketplace for 25 years or, um, you know, it's unproven, we're doing something different. So they're willing to try and do something different. So there's all these different things. And, you know, we have to bend over backwards in my mind to over deliver to that customer, whether it's through our technology or people our solutioning, because it's like, that's what differentiates us as a small, quick firm versus a big behemoth that is trying to do something similar, right? Like that's part of our value prop. So it drives me crazy when I feel that we drop the ball in some case. Yeah. I think what happens a lot of time is we forget that somebody else's job is, is usually a lot harder than we think. So what happens all the time in customer success, right? Is a salesperson sells something and we immediately get frustrated. I can't believe they sold that. What are they doing? They're over-promising. So have you ever sat in a salesperson's chair before? Do you know how hard that job is? I am reasonably confident by the fact that they're here, they're lined up with our core values, they care a lot. They're just trying to do their job well. And by the way, they're trying to do it well in a way that they are creating value for the customer, but for us too. They're not trying to make our lives harder. They're trying to do their job. Their job is hard. Sales job is hard. It's a lot of pressure. So first start with always assuming positive intent. Yeah. Always, always be aware their job is probably harder. How do I recognize that? And if, if they miss something, let me help. Let me do your point. Let me go. Let me close that gap. Let me solve it. And then I can always circle back and say, hey, how do we do better later? But if I start with thinking their job is harder than I realize, I can probably understand ways to make things better for that end customer outcome. Because I'm pro I can probably do things, especially to your point in that scrappy startup world. There's a lot of stuff happening. It's hard, right? How do we help each other? Because again, it's it's outside in. It's we're we're all one team first before we're a department. Because yeah. customers really they really don't care. Like they don't care. They really don't care. Like a customer doesn't care what my title is, what my department is. They want to know I've got a problem. Can you solve it? Right. My boss is mad. My presentation didn't go well. Right. I got a client that's counting on me delivering this tomorrow. You promised me I'd have it today. I don't have it today. That, they don't care who, what department I am. They want to know, yeah. is Disco going to solve my problem? Right. It's on me to figure out how to get work with my colleagues to solve that problem for them over and over and over. 
Um, and, and if I have that mindset, I'm not going to worry about, you know, somebody else didn't do something that I thought they should do because they probably had a pretty good reason for not doing it. And it might've been me who cost it. Yeah. And I think there's, there's an interesting element of customer success hearing directly from the customer. When you hear the urgency or again, it's, it's like, the customer success person hears the problem, no matter if they were responsible for it or not. The technology could have broke. CS didn't touch a piece of the code, the infrastructure, you know, the, the latest update. They had nothing to do with it. Like much like the server at a restaurant has nothing to do with the food that was prepared, right? Unless they like miskey it into the into the into the system. But um, they hear the urgency and the fire coming from the customer, and it's usually because someone's giving them fire, right? And and then the fire just rolls down into into you know our our world and we have to go solve it but oftentimes other departments or other team members don't feel the urgency because they're not hearing the fire like the cs person can be like hey i need this but they're not screaming and shouting like the customer is uh at them and so i'm just kind of curious how you see that urgency kind of translate from the customer to and through your your team into the broader disco team yeah, look, there's a there's an example. We were uh, working on solving um, some engineering challenges that we had in one of our products. And again, in that spirit of their jobs are harder than I realized, they've got a long list of things that they're balancing. They're trying to solve bugs or trying to create capability. And they're constantly trying to prioritize what's the most important thing. And they don't always know, right? So um, part of it is I can help them with that. And I remember a situation where we were making progress on this engineering challenge, but it wasn't going as fast as I thought it should go. And so now I'm just in a conversation about how do we prioritize? And then I spoke with a customer and the customer told me a story about three different times we had promised them a delivery on a product feature that we were late on. And because we were late, they broke a promise with one of their customers. Now I could have just gone, oh shoot, like, Maybe that looks bad for me because I let that happen. That's the stuff that goes through people's heads, right? I'm going to look bad if I let somebody know there's an issue with a client. I just went back to the engineering team and said, did you know I just got off the phone with a client? This is what happened. How do we solve it? They literally said, oh my gosh, we didn't know. Thank you for telling us because it helps us with our prioritization. We just we just didn't know that that's what the experience we were creating for customers. So a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. It's again, if, if you take on the privilege, what's what's more important to a company than than all the customers that they have, right? That they're counting on for growth, for revenue, for all those things. What's more important than that? Guess what you get to do in customer success? You have the privilege of representing all of your colleagues. That's a privilege. That's a high yeah, privilege. You better take on the responsibility of taking those conversations back to the rest of the organization, not in a way that's accusatory, but in a way that's helpful, 100%. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I know CS can sometimes take it personal when they're getting yelled at, but it's not personal. Like you said, the customer just doesn't care. They're just sharing the frustration and you're the conduit by which that has to be shared, right? Or it's like a, a nasty gram in an email, but oftentimes it's, you know, you get them on the phone and you just gotta, be the conduit for that uh, and know that it's not. That's even right. Though they may and, be telling you it's personal. It's really oftentimes not. Right. And, and we have to create safety for people, psychological safety, that they're bringing back tough news. That's okay. They're not going to be punished for bringing back tough news. That's to make us better. 
Because that's the other thing you can do is you can squash that by making people feel like if they do that, they're going to be they're going to be accused for it. I got to tell you, the other side of it, though, is we got to bring back client wins, too. Right. We create a lot of value for people. And those same engineers that need to know that there's a problem with a client and they need we need their help in prioritizing it. They need to know how that hard work is also bringing value back to clients. So that's part of the energy we bring in those client win stories every month. But I mean, there's, we get plenty of emails from clients going, this was really incredibly helpful and we'll share it back and forth with sales and we're excited. What about all the rest of the people in the company that their name didn't get called out, but they were every much a bit yeah. part of it. We've, yeah. we've, got to, we've got to take that responsibility on too. No, I love that. I mean, it really is a team sport and, and that's what makes coming to work fun. I'm sure for you, your team and um, all the folks at Disco, I mean, it really kind of comes out. Yeah, it's look, it's it's a lot harder to work this way, right? Because you have to be intentional about how you're connecting with people, right? Um, we're all working through Zoom screens, right? So we're trying to figure all that out, but it's so much more rewarding. And I think there is a direct connection to how businesses grow, to what makes people decide to to build their career and stay at an organization it's because they're working in a way that's creating more value than you can ever do on your own. It's it's work that's worth it. No, that's awesome. Well, so tell me how you got into customer success. Yeah, so, um, you know, like probably like a lot of people, I don't, I don't know if I got there as intentionally as I'd like to tell you I did. I was working for a company doing, working, uh, really doing account management, strategic account management, leading a team that was responsible for all of the delivery and engagement and renewals and growth for the largest kind of global clients we had. Um, we got acquired at that time, and we're looking to pivot into a much more scaled, robust customer success um, rhythm. And um, it fit my skill set really, really well. Um, and it was a chance to really build and scale something that was going to be unique and different. So it was taking all the skills I had around relationship management, um, understanding the financials of a customer, how to do engagement. Um, and it was really, I'd been doing a lot of SaaS work for a while. So it just created an opportunity, um, that felt pretty like a natural fit for me, but I really didn't understand because it was still maybe early days of what we're now all calling customer success. Um, so it was a natural fit, but like a lot of people, it came from, a kind of, it started off in account management. So I will tell you this though, in making that move, um, I would never say it's just reframing account management. Cause I know that's something people will talk about. Right. I had to learn just as much how to put things down as I had to learn how to pick up new things. Part of it was going through a bit of a mindset shift in what I have to make the top priorities, which is making sure customers are getting value versus making sure that I'm signing the next contract. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a clear, very clear. Um, and so you've been at Disco now for, you said about 15 months. About 15 and months. Was and that, was that your first CS role or... or no, so I, I was at a, a prior company for about eight years, a company, a great company um, called Numerator. And that's where I was doing um, initially strategic account management work. Um, and then we got acquired um, is when we pivoted into building and scaling a customer success team. So I've been doing it for, I mean, officially in customer success for yeah. about six years. If you take back through that as strategic account management, where I've been doing big pieces of this. It's a couple decades. Yeah. 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 No, that's awesome. Where can we follow you online, Dave? So probably the best place is, is LinkedIn. So um, I try to engage out there as much as I can. 
Um, would love to connect and chat with anybody. One of the most valuable things for me is learning from other professionals. I found that we tend to be trying to tackle some of the same problems and some of the same issues. And I've learned so much from so many people. So David Carp, Disco, LinkedIn, um, love to have people connect with me. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on to the Revenue Hustle. It's been a great conversation. We talked about two very important topics and very different perspectives uh, than what we've talked about in the past, which I always enjoy. So thank you and uh, let's do it again soon. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Tom. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at ninelenses.com. See you next time.